we've been in a bit of a discipleship journey. It wasn't really planned, and then it kind of came together this summer. <clears throat> and the first thing we did is we looked at, we had to back up, and we looked at what is a Christian? Because that term Christianity is used so much in our day. And we looked at the reality that a Christian believes and receives and obeys the Lord. And then, then we looked at what is a disciple, and it's kind of hard. That word is used so much today, but we went right to Jesus' word, and he says that uh, if anyone was going to follow him, what did they have to do? They had to deny self. They had to take up their cross and follow. And I believe that is the biblical vision of what a disciple is, a follower of Christ. We then looked at this call. What is the call of the disciple? And Jesus said to the early disciples, come follow me. That is the call, that we follow the Lord. And as we follow the Lord, he gives us a promise. I will make you fishers of men. And then what was the response? They responded immediately. Like that's a catchphrase for Mark. He likes that, immediately. And then lastly, we looked about a disciple is a person who has a relationship with Jesus. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And we looked at that passage of uh, he is the vine and we are the branches and that we are to abide in Christ. And if we abide in Christ, then we will bear much fruit. And that is a natural result of abiding in the vine. And so today we're unpacking uh, a little bit of what does this abiding, dwelling mean? What's this relationship look like? And so I have a, a question for you today. Now you might think this is an odd question. I think different than everyone else, but are you happy today as a Christian? Are, are you fulfilled today as a believer of Jesus Christ? Or are you more frustrated than fulfilled? Now, hear me right, I didn't ask you if you're busy. Because there's a lot of people that are busy in their Christian faith and busy in the church. Now, some need to be busier in the things of God than the things in their lives. So hear me right, don't, don't go from here and then the Lord, the Lord said through Pastor Betty today that I just need to stop everything and I don't need to be busy anymore at the things of God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that often as Christians, we can find ourselves and all we're doing is busy. We're busy working at the things of the Lord. But often when you get close to people and you scratch the surface a bit, oh, the mask is nice, but when you scratch the surface a bit, you find a person who is very unhappy, unfulfilled. Now, now hear me right, they love the Lord. They have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's not an issue here. But, but deep down inside, they realize, yes, they want to please God, but because of the many distractions and frustrations and overwhelming temptations and, dare I say, even experiences in the church, they want to just throw in the towel. You know, it's heartbreaking as a pastor to meet people who love the Lord but want to throw in the towel. <laughs> and, I, and I often have to think, well, what's gone wrong? What, what is happening with that? And I, I remember a time in, in my life as a, a new believer, I was only probably around a, a year old as a Christian back in Mississauga, Ontario there, back in 1984 into 85, we went to Bible school in 86, 
But in that in-between time of going to Bible school, I remember at one point, you know, we were doing all kinds of different ministries in the church, and I was exhausted. I was physically exhausted. I was spiritually exhausted. And I said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And then my uncle Verbal, who was a pastor in the Nazarene church down in Florida, invited me to Orlando, Florida for a week, Mike and I. It was really our honeymoon after six years of marriage. We never had a honeymoon. And I remember us traveling through a snowstorm to get there in Florida. And as we got there, we actually, our week was spent with retired missionaries and retired pastors. And we were like in our 20s. And it's like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. But we went into prayer meetings, and I have never experienced prayer meetings like it since. And I long for it. And man, they could pray heaven down in that meeting. And I remember pouring my heart out before the Lord, and I've been doing this, and I've been doing that, and I've been, Lord, I don't understand. And I, after my prayer, I heard this small voice that said to me, Betty, yes, Lord, but I never asked you to do any of that. And I went back from that trip realizing how important it was for me to pray and look at the things I should be doing and asking God to show me what I shouldn't be doing. And I had that a beginning of a turnaround in my life. I like what Richard Foster stated. He says, we have seen and known people who seem to have found a deeper center of living where the fretful calls of life are interpreted, where no as well as yes can be said with confidence. See, my friends, we get so caught up, and I know I've asked this question before and I've heard people say that Christianity isn't about what you do. Christianity discipleship is about a relationship. First and foremost, you do those things, yes, but you do it out of the motive of relationship. And so it's not about, you know, just doing things, but the problem today is we're looking at this idea of intimacy, and if we're honest, you know, it's important to have intimacy with God. And the greatest calling that we can have is to have this intimate union with God. But the problem is a lot of us, you know, intimacy, God, intimacy, but a lot of us are what? Terrified of intimacy. We're fearful of it. We don't want any of that. See, right from the beginning of time, God has decided that he wants union with us. Once man was lost, right from the foundation of time, God has been wanting to share his very self with us, and he is the wooer of our souls. He is the one who comes longing and waiting and looking for us to have this intimate relationship with us. But here we are fallen, broken individuals who are terrified of intimacy. Uh, So much so that often that becomes a a, a situation and a problem in marriages because we uh, don't want to share our innermost feelings. We don't want to be open, an open book with people. Ultimately, it seems to be a subconscious thing because, you know, subconsciously, if you get close to me, then you'll get to know me. Well, we would think that would be a positive thing. But if you get to know me, you might not like me. You might even reject me. You might even hurt me. So you know what? I'll just stand at a distance. 
And the reality with this fear of intimacy, you know, I think about social, social distancing has kept us safe, but social distancing is not good when it comes to the spiritual things with God and with each other, that I'm just going to stand at a distance because this keeps me safe. This keeps me that I don't get hurt. And so we continue to stand at a distance from each other and even from God. And one thing we see in the church today that is so prevalent, especially here in North America, I don't need anyone. Thank you very much. It's just me and Jesus. Oh, I don't want the church. Just give me Jesus. And even online, you know, we realize this online platform and sharing the service and to those listening today online, it is so important to connect with you but you cannot use this online platform as a way to stay safe in your faith to say, well, I'm just going to get a little bit of Jesus. I'm just going to get a little bit of the service, but I don't want any connection or any intimate relationship with anyone else. And that's the day that we live in, that we're tired and, and, and we're not fulfilled and we're trying to stay at distance from people and we're trying to stay safe and we're trying to believe that we can do it on our own. And I want to tell you today that that is not where you will find peace and shalom and love and fulfillment. Because God is wanting this intimate relationship with you. The moment that I start using even this term intimacy, some of you have already cringed. Some of you have already shut down. And yet God is saying to us, as we've seen in our first passage today from Colossians, that Christ in you, Paul used these two terms interchangeably. He said, you know, Christ in you, and then he used the term you in Christ, or me in Christ. And so there is this aspect of intimacy, and so as we first today look at what it means to be in Christ in you, oh my friends, long before Christ ever came, it was God's desire to be in the center of his people to be in the midst of his people. I love the passage of Moses, you know, going out to the tent of meeting. It was just Moses at the beginning, remember? He would go out and into the tent of meeting, and he would speak to God. Can you imagine? Speak to God like a friend speaks to a friend face to face. Then he invited young Joshua in, and so, you know, it was just the two of them. They would go out to the tent of meeting while everybody else watched at a distance. And what's interesting in there, God began to show his desire to Moses. I don't want to just have you and Joshua out in the tent of meeting. I have plans that you would build a tabernacle. And as you build the tabernacle, you would place it in the middle of my people. And so the tabernacle was built. And they would put the tribes around the tabernacle. And everybody's front door of their tent would face the tabernacle, because God was in the center of their midst. And they could see that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire, and they knew when God was present. It's been God's desire to be in the center of his people. You know, it's amazing when we realize that, that that's not just what happened with God in the Old Testament. We look what John has to say about Jesus in uh, John 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you know the Word there is actually tabernacled? That God tabernacled in our midst? This is what John is saying, that God showed up in the midst of fallen humanity. 
Because God wants relationship with us. He wants to be in the center of his people. And so Jesus pitched his tent. I think Eugene Peterson uses that term. God, Jesus, pitched his tent in our midst. And so, my friends, Christ has died. Christ emptied himself, poured himself out that you might have relationship with him and that you might now be, have him in you. Praise God, I, I think about the fact of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We prayed earlier today, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is now God dwells in me. Do you know that today? Oh, there's a lot of people on the ball today. Do you know that today, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? If you are a believer in Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity lives in you, dwells in you. Now, I don't have time today to get to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Church of the Nazarene that you can come to that moment when you realize you need more of God and less of you, that he needs to increase and you need to decrease, and you surrender yourself and you allow him to cleanse you and purify you and empty yourself of all, that he might come and fill you to the uttermost. We believe that. But today we don't have time to get into that, but every believer has Christ in them. Every believer has Christ in them. And so that verse 27 of Colossians chapter 1, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. This is a mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only does the Spirit, somebody put it this way, not only does the Spirit of God come to take up permanent residence within the body of each believer, but also the resurrected life of Christ is given to each one that has been saved by grace through faith in him. And in Christ we become citizens of heaven, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Christ in you the hope of glory. And so, you know, it blows my mind. If we can, this is a mystery. We can't always fully understand it, but we can experience it. We can celebrate it. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born in the manger, died on the cross and rose from the dead by his spirit today, lives in you. The whole symbol of baptism is what? That when we are baptized, that we have died with Christ. This is this conversation that Paul is having with the church in Colossae. That when we die in Christ, we have died, our sins have died, we have died, our sins were nailed to the cross with him. And then as we come up from the waters of baptism, it is like him coming up from the tomb, that we come up in that resurrection power, that Christ is now in us and giving us the power to live a life that would honor and please God. And so we see today that God wants us to realize 
that we are in Christ, for this intimacy to happen, for this relationship to happen. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit is in us, and He is moving in us, and He is working in us, and He is changing us, and He is transforming us, and He is encouraging us. It's not something external. It is now internal. It's a part of our DNA. It's a part of who we are in Christ, and Christ in us. So here's a weird statement. You want to know the secret to Christian life? Stop. Oh, that's brilliant, Pastor. Stop. Stop doing it. Stop trying so hard. Stop working harder. Stop. See, you know what that is? That is our self-reliance. That is the ego in me. That is the one that I was a new believer and I was going to show everyone else how to do it. Well, that didn't last very long. I messed up the first two weeks. (sighs) Because if we are dependent upon ourselves, if we are doing it, we've missed it. What God wants us to realize today for this intimate relationship to be of a disciple to mature and grow, and as Pastor Mike said, you know, maturing in Christ, that fullness of maturity in Christ, then there needs to become a realization that I can't do it. Lord, I cannot do this Christian walk. I cannot do this Christian life. What I need is you to dwell more in me and help me to do it. And I surrender myself to you that you live in and through me. Your resurrected power moves in and through me. It's not about me doing it. It is about me surrendering to you and allowing you to do it in me. And so as Christ lives in me, this is now my new identity as a Christian. And God is doing that transformation through the Holy Spirit. And as I said, the biggest problem is we rely too much on spiritual performance. I've heard so many people say, if I said, uh, it, you are a Christian, tell me uh, about your Christianity. What is it about? What? And even as pastors, we fall into this terrible, <laughs> terrible mistake. Well, I, I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I preach, and I minister, to, and I, and I, and I. I long to hear people say, I'm just passionate about Jesus. (laughs) I just love Jesus. Yeah, we do all those things. Don't stop doing those things. Jason, don't go home and stop preaching. (laughs) But it, it it is about this reality that it's not what we do. If we could get that through, that's not what makes us a Christian. It's allowing him to do it in and through us. I remember at one point in my life yearning for something more, yearning for something deeper. I know we sing that song, there must be more than this. And there can become this holy dissatisfaction because we think, okay, we've, had, we've been at camp, we've been at a conference, we've made a, a move to the altar, we've made a deeper commitment to Jesus, we've prayed harder, we're going to read our word more, we're, we're going to do stuff, read your word more, Lord. You know, we're going to do, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do. That is, again, spiritual performance. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And then we get frustrated because we're not doing such a great job. We're too reliant upon self. 
self-sufficiency and not a reliant enough on God and the Holy Spirit. Remember the rich young ruler? What did he approach Jesus with? Master, Jesus, what good deed must I do? (laughs) And so God is a jealous God, my friends, and he wants you not to try harder. He wants you to step closer to him and allow him to work in and through your life to die to self and to live for Christ. Oh, we could spend so much time here, we don't have the time today, but maybe you just would open yourself today to that idea that, as Paul says, intimacy for a disciple of Christ is Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But I want to share something with you that I think is also an important part of intimacy with God, that we are challenged. The phrase that Paul used a lot was him being in Christ. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9, Pastor Mike read them for us, but I think backing up just before verse 9, Paul says this, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We uh, pastored in a little country church, and they had a lot of water problems. And we found out it went on for decades. We went out into the gravel parking lot, and you could see these potholes all over the place, And interesting enough, as we talk to our trustees, they'll say, yeah, well, that was the first well. And this one over here was the second well that we dug. And this one over here was the third well that we dug. And so they had dug several wells, but they all filled in with sand. So when we were pastoring the church, what they decided was the solution. One of the guys in the church had a business of a water truck. So it made sense. Well, let's just put in a cistern and we'll just fill the water. I'll take my business, and I'll fill the pastors, the manses, and the church's water every week, and I'll go fill the cistern. Well, that was great until he went on vacation, (laughs) or he got sick, and we ran out of water. (laughs) The church ran out of water, and then we had times that the cistern would get dirty, and we didn't know, but our whole family was drinking contaminated water. At one point, it had oil from the gas lawnmower in it that we were drinking. (laughs) Oh, only by God's grace are we all here today. (laughs) And so they would have to empty the cistern, and they would have to bleach it, and then they'd have to pour in the water, and all that water would have to be drained so they could put water. It was just a mess. Well, you know, years later, I spoke to somebody, and one of the trustees was quite happy to say, Pastor, we solved the water problem. I said, well, how did you do that? We did a drilled well. Now, many of you on the island know drilled wells. It costs a bit more. It, it, it's a lot of work, and you've got to find the right water vein, but you drill down deep enough to a place where you find living water that never runs dry. You know what I'm getting to today. That God is wanting us, my friends, to dig down deep into the things of God. To now go to a place where it's not just about him being in me, but for true intimacy to happen, it is Christ in me. But now I purposely choose to be in God. I purposely choose to abide in Christ, as he says in John. That's really our passage today that sets this up. 
that it is Christ in me, but now I choose to abide in God. I move towards God. God has done everything to move towards me. Now it's my choice to move towards the things of God. Pastor Mike was listening to something this week, and he made one phrase that really stood out to me, and it's not about proximity, but about intimacy. See, we can sit in church week after week, and we might be close to each other physically, but it doesn't mean that we have a close, intimate relationship. See, we can stay close to God. We can look like we're doing those things. We're in the proximity of God and the things of God, but it doesn't mean that I have intimacy with God. And so we realize today, in order for this true intimacy to happen, we have Christ in us, but we also need to move in to Christ. You see, I found out that when Christ is in me, then I'm still the center of everything. Did you get that? When when I talk about in my life that Christ has saved me, Christ has died for me, I got my my ticket to heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit has come and filled me, the Holy Spirit has come and given me power. Now all truths, hear me right, but I'm still at the center of that. It is those individuals who begin to realize it's not about me, it's all about him, that I don't want it only to be about Christ in me, I now want to move into the things of God. I want to move into Christ. We have been admonished to love the Lord our God with our whole hearts, minds, and soul. And oh, my friends... If there was anything that could help the church in North America in these days, coming out the other side of a pandemic, is to say this with me, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Man, if we could figure that out, if we could understand that, it's not all about you. You are not the center of the church. You are not the center of the plan of this church. You are not the center. Your family, your needs, your wishes, your wants, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, what I like, what I don't like. Oh, that person got too close. God, forgive the church. This has been going on for decades before COVID, but COVID just brought it to the surface even worse. It's not about you. Never has been about you. You get to experience it, Christ in you. Hallelujah. (laughs) But it's all about him. And it's all supposed to be for his glory. And what does he want? And what does he wish? And what would he have me do? I think a lot of our problems would be solved if we got our eyes off what we think and our eyes off everybody else and got our eyes turned back to Jesus. One of the greatest examples in Scripture of the analogy of intimacy that God wants with his people is that of husband and wife, is that of marriage. That God wants to be the lover of our souls. He loves us unconditionally. You've heard that. Anyone that's been raised in Sunday school has heard that, that God loves you unconditionally. Agape love. Here's a question. Here's a challenge. Do you love God unconditionally? Do you love God unconditionally? 
I know I was challenged many years ago. If God never answered another prayer for you, if God never ever gave you an experience, a mountaintop experience, would you still love him unconditionally? See, for this intimate relationship to happen, it needs to be Christ in you, but it also needs to be you in Christ and things done for his glory. I remember somebody praying many years ago, Lord, I seek your face, but not your hand. Often we think that God is like a spiritual Santa Claus, that I get my list out and I write down all my needs and wishes and wants, and God is supposed to be just there and answer all of them. Praise God, he does love us. He's a good, good father that cares to give good gifts to his children. But my relationship with him is not about what he does for me. He's not the end of a means. It's about a relationship, and God has loved me unconditionally, and he is challenging all of us today to love him unconditionally. In my last message, I spoke about dwelling. I spoke about abiding when Jesus said, abide in the vine, and we went to the realization that the word in its original context comes from the noun of house. And so there's this reality of make yourself at home with Christ. Make yourself at home with God. Linger, dwell, be in Christ. That is our calling. And what's the problem? As we said, intimacy. We're afraid of that, and we're afraid of getting too close for God and what that might mean for us. And the truth of it is, if we are not intimate and close with God, it's very hard for us ever to be intimate and have strong friendships with anyone else. But the moment that we start this journey of moving into the things of God, the amazing thing is we become closer to God, we also become closer and willing to become closer with each other. I close with this story. I, uh, I had an experience many, many years ago. I had done what everything around me had told and I heard preached, and, and uh, I, I remember going to that altar and accepting Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. There was a point in my life, though, just a few weeks into my Christian journey, as I told you, I didn't do a very good job of it, and I, I just laid on our, our basement floor and poured my heart out before the Lord, and I remember at that point, I gave the Lord everything, and I asked for a, a cleansing, and, and I remember the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand at the time what it was, but I know that I came up from that basement floor a changed woman, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's daily you're needing a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. It is a process. It is a journey. But in that moment, I came up from that floor, a changed woman. Many years now in ministry, I had been over to Europe and different places, and we came home, and I was there one day, and I was praying, and I was seeking, and maybe it was a dark night of the soul. Maybe it was a dry spell. We all go through those. But I was saying, Lord, there must be more than this. Is this what there is? Is this what it's all about? And I remember at that moment, I picked up a little book by the theologian, French theologian, Francois Fenelon, and I can't even find the little book today, and I would have loved to be able to find which of his writings it was. But that's when he began to speak about this intimacy with God, and he began to say, your problem is it's all about you. 
and your faith is too you-centered. And it's a time now, this catchphrase of Paul, in Christ, there is a time now that you move into Christ. And it's no longer, your motive is no longer about yourself. Your motive is no longer for your own glory. The motive is now for his glory. Just recently, I was reading some of his writings, and he talked about the three parts of, uh, of love. And he said, you know, unfortunately, many of us in our early journey, we have what we call this selfish love. Like I already explained, where God is our spiritual Santa Claus, and we only care to be a Christian for what he can do for us. It's all about what God can do. Give me this, give me that, what about that, answer this. And, and it's a selfish love. And then he says there is this place where when we talk about maturing in our faith, and I pray you got there, <laughs> there is what we call this mixed love. And that is where the glory of God is more important than my personal needs and wishes and wants. I'm talking about something very deep here. And so this mixed love is not bad. It's actually very good as long as it's kept in proper balance and God's glory is more important than my happiness. There's a word, right? Then he said, there are those who begin to understand and realize that you can move into something much deeper called pure love. Pure love is in that moment where you begin to disappear and your happiness is not what you're concerned about, that you actually disappear and what you want is God's glory. What you live for is for him. What you live for is for his kingdom. And you put him first, seek first his kingdom. All these other things will be added on to you. See, John Wesley, we are Wesley, and John Wesley called it what? Perfect love. He said that the way you can tell a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not by all the miracles they can do or the tongues they can speak. It's pure, perfect love. And so I began to realize in my own life that God wanted to have this intimate relationship with me, and if this intimate relationship was supposed to happen, it was not just Christ in me, but I needed to daily move into Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I want to confess, there's a lot of days I have not done good on it. But now that I know, I know that I am the happiest and the most fulfilled and have the most peace when I'm moving into Christ. Those days go good. Those days go well. Oh, it doesn't mean my life is perfect. There aren't problems in those days. But there is something sweet about being in his presence. There is something sweet about I'm honing into his heart. God, we're, we're praying that prayer like the missionary prayed. Uh, Father, break our hearts with what breaks yours. And you know the one thing today that breaks the Father's heart? The lost, the prodigals, the ones that he desires to see come home. And so there is something in this. I pray that you're willing to embark on this journey. I challenge you today. Do you have Christ in you? Do you know Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Maybe you have prayed the sinner's prayer, but you never realize that Christ, the risen Lord, the Holy Spirit, and the Father is living in you today. And that resurrected power lives in you. You know what that says to me? There's no excuse. 
There's no such thing in the, in the church, I can't. Because Christ can do it in and through you. Maybe you've been trying to do it, and today is a day of surrender. And just God do it in me. I wonder, and I challenge you today, if any of this has made sense to you, if something has been just percolating in you from this, would you be willing to say, Lord, I don't fully understand this, but I want to begin to move into you. I want to have this intimate relationship with you, that it's you and me, but I'm moving God into you and into your kingdom and the things of your kingdom. I have a prayer at the end, and if you want to say it, I'm going to ask you to stand. And you can say it with me if you like. Don't feel any pressure in that. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. But I like this prayer because Tom Smith said, may we all progress from merely occasionally being in God to more often abiding in God to dwelling in God for longer periods to deeply dwelling in God for our whole life. And my friends, what do you think eternity is going to be about? <laughs> it's going to be about being in his presence. And so here is the prayer. Lord, teach me to abide in you. I want to progress from having you in me to having me live in you. Do, to do this, Lord, keep me contacting you. Don't let me slip away from spending private time with you. Keep me in your word every day as I pray your word. Lord, increase my speaking for you. May I say as Paul did, I speak in Christ. Lord, I want to bear much fruit, and I want to care for your presence, even for the smiling of your face. Lastly, Lord, remind me to call on your name, to always rejoice, to unceasingly pray, and to give thanks in everything. May everything remind me to abide in you. Amen. Let's sing our closing song. dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own all i once thought gain i have counted lot spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Oh, my heart's desire is to know you more 